Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Okay, stack Waddy game. Shall I go first? Oh, yes, please. All right. Live albums, titles of, with a bit of challenge about them, okay? As, okay. As, as live albums frequently do. Okay. You've got to sort out which of these five was not real, okay? Challenge. I like that. So that's kind yeah. of live and dangerous. Is that kind of it kind of, yeah. Okay. First one, on your feet or on your knees? On your feet or on your knees. Number two, blow your face out. Number two, blow your face out. (laughs) Number three, silent but deadly. Number four, the shit hits the fans. (laughs) Number five, you can't do that on stage anymore. Okay. That's really good. So you tell me that four of those are real. Four of those are real. One of them's not. Oh, okay. right. The shit hits the fans. There was a headline in the NME, I think, the fan hits the shit. And uh, I, was, I can't remember who it was about now. I think it's about Jimmy Percy of Sham 69. <laughs> right. But anyway, so uh, Silent But Deadly, the shit hits the fans. You can't do that on stage anymore. On your feet, you're on your knees. God, that's tricky. That is. Blow your face out, I think, is real. I mean, I've just got it, no idea. Blow your face out is indeed real. It's a Jay Garls band. Jay Garls, okay. Live, live on your feet, you're on your knees. Sounds real to me. It sounds like a metal thing. It is, it is real. It's the Blue Oyster Cult. Blue Oyster Cult. Okay. Uh, the shit hits the fans. That really sounds real, too. But I guess, I, so I'm going to say, I'm going to say that it's, I'm going to say you can't do that on stage anymore. No, that's real. That's Frank Zappa. Uh, Frank Zappa's oh, right, okay. series of live albums. The Shit Hits the Fans was a real replacements album, Don Cassette only. The one that's not real, but it was fictional, was dreamed up by Spinal Tap, Silent particularly. <laughs> it didn't actually exist. That's very okay. Silent Tap. That's very good. You win. Superb work. Okay, well, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back with, with Emo. Oh, right. Okay. Remember, email, a genre K 
characterized by the idea of emotional expression and confessional lyrics. And they tended to be a, a, you know, people like my chemical romance and panic at disco, and it tended to be a, a slightly pessimistic tone to the band names. Uh, there was lots of eyeliner involved. There was quite a bit of eyeliner. So okay. uh, here's five titles, one of which isn't real, okay? Black Veil Brides, and then there were none. Oh, God. Yeah. Downhill, but the brakes have failed. Oh, grief. From autumn to ashes. Oh, grief. And further seems forever. Oh, my God. I know it's impossible to do. So You're telling black, me black... any of those were real? Yeah, yeah, four oh, of those are real. God. Black Veil Brides. Black Veil Brides. Then there were none. none. Downhill, but the brakes, but the brakes have failed. But the brakes... Autumn to ashes. From autumn but to ashes. Further and... seems to... Oh, yep. God. I, I literally, none of them mean anything to his all. None of them ring even the most distant bell. So I'm going to I'm going to guess that the made up one was and then there were none. It's not. No, okay. no. And then there were none. We're, we're on Tooth and Nail Records in 2009. Black uh, Veil Brides is real. Uh, from Autumn to Ashes is real, and so is Further Seems Forever. Now, the one I made up was Downhill, but the brakes have failed, oh, right. which actually sounds a little bit jaunty, really. It's probably just a little bit too optimistic and, uh, <laughs> and uh, colourful to be to be true emo. But there we yes. go. Sounds as if you've got a sense of humour, which would... Yeah, yeah, which is wrong. As, uh, as yeah. OK, well, that's the Stagwaddy game for this week. Uh, what have we got on next week? We're doing, we're doing not one, but two Word of Your Attics with... Um, Birthday boys, I think they're boys, they're both boys, uh, Patreon supporters. Uh, we've done a few of these already, we've got a couple coming up next week. If you'd like to join them to have your next birthday made unique by the digital presence of me and Mark Ellen in your attics, going through your stuff, uh, if you just go to patreon.com slash word in your ear and you find out all about it and all the many other benefits being uh, varying different levels of Patreon supporters. Uh, so please do go and, uh, as they used to say on the radio, check it out. <laughs> the Word Podcast, walking the digital dog since 2007. Hey, what are you doing for National Albums Day, Mark? Are you having a load of people around? No, I suppose not. <laughs> Probably not. I've never completely worked out what National Albums Day is, really. It's, a new, it's, a, it's a, a new thing. You can imagine the three words, National Albums and Day. It kind of, you know, it communicates its essence, doesn't it, really? It though? does. It's, it's, it's just general enthusiasm about vinyls. So, well, no, not vinyl particularly, but just long-form, you know, yeah. Yeah. Al albums being CDs or cassettes or, or vinyl or whatever. It's the idea of a sustained, uh, sustained record, uh, which uh, the organisers want to remind people of the value of. And because what are you laughing at? <laughs> oh, no, no. You're looking at me as if I've got my flies undone. Um, <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, they contacted me a while ago, the, um, the organisers, and asked me, to name my favourite album of the eighties because they're focusing on the eighties, so I thought we'd follow through on through on that in this podcast, and and I've got five favourite albums of the eighties, and you've got five as well. I've yeah. got five I like very much. Yeah, okay. it's difficult to say favourites because there are so many on the list. Five I'm well, very fond of. Well, you see, I I posted this on Twitter the other night. I said Mark Allen and I are thinking of our favourite 
80s albums for National Album Day. And people immediately responded with long lists of, 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 of kind of the, the kind of the great albums of the 80s. Well, that's not my favourite. Your favourite can only be chosen by me, can't it, really? Yeah, they have got to be your... It's just, it's a personal thing, isn't it? It's a Things personal thing. you have an emotional connection with. Oh, yeah, it is. Far away, what do you got then? You well, go I got... The first one was the thing I, 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 I nominated in response to their question, which was, oddly enough, is John Hyatt's Bring Me oh, yeah, Family? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what uh, a great cover too. Which is uh, which came out in God? When did it come out? It came out in 1987. Uh, John Hyatt had uh, had been making a load of records for MCA Records, which I think at the time they desperately held hoped to get him to be a bit of a country success, and it didn't happen at all. And so he had a few songs, and I think Demon Records, the British you know independent label. They said, if you've got some songs, we'll pay to record them. If you, if you can just do it in two days or whatever, something quite briefly. And uh, so he put together a band featuring Ry Cooder. And if you can get Ry Cooder, you can usually get Jim Keltner, the drummer as well. And Nick Lowe flew in, picked up a bass, you know, at a hire shop, I think, somewhere on the way to the studio. And they whacked out this record. And it's, it's just absolutely magical. Um, and, uh, you know, it's very much rejects his efforts to make it in Nashville. One of my favourite tracks is the first track, uh, you know, uh, Memphis in the Meantime, which contains the, the, uh, the verse, Sure, I like country music. I like mandolins. But right now, I need a Telecaster through a Vibralux turned up to 10. Brilliant. Which is very much what the record sounded like. And of course, that band was pretty much the band that went on to Little Village. Well, this that's my point. Yeah. That's my point. They this so excited people that Warner Brothers said, Oh, hang on, supergroup. You know, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, alt rock, I don't know, punk rock, pub rock, supergroup. Uh, we'll put this lot together, call them Little Village. And so they then put them back in the studio with a big budget and they took ages and it didn't sound anything like as good as that record. And so that's why I chose that just to indicate that the great albums, they're kind of like magic. You can't do them twice. Can you? you know? No, absolutely. They just sort of happen. So that's my number five. What's your number five? That's very good. Oh, I haven't really got them in any particular order, but I was going to start with this one. I don't even remember this. Oh, this the is the mighty crazy rhythms by the Feelies. Okay. And uh, yeah, and uh, a, a collection of uh, bespectacled, um, slightly nerdy-looking collegiate they were, types. They were nerds New before Jersey. their time, weren't they? Before really? their time, that's a proto-nerd look, isn't it? It's, really? it's a standard look now. I mean, it is. Like, so, what year are we talking about? With that, that was record? 1980. Came out in 1980. Okay. And they were continuing the kind of uh, grand traditions of the time of of, of kind of East Coast. Uh, rock music of you know talking heads and, and groups like television very much like television very very much like speeded up version of television and i think it's a brilliant record it hits a particular particular uh, uh kind of uh, tone and sustains it brilliantly and they're very funny funny they're, they're very creative and there are any gaps there are occasional gaps in the music which they fill with strange found percussion instruments and cans and shoe boxes and coat racks um, it's got an amazing version of uh, everyone's. Yeah, everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey. Oh, and the o- the opening track is called um, "The Boy with the Perpetual Nervousness," 
which gives you some idea of the kind of jittery tenor of the whole thing, yeah, which is actually yeah. very, very attractive. It's really good. And their worldview has the same sort of sensibility as Jonathan Richmond. And so anybody remotely drawn to, um, you know, the Velvet Underground, the Modern Lovers, and to some extent, Orange Juice. Sounds very like Orange Juice. So what, really happened, like what happened to the feelings? They kept really, going. No, they kept really. going and they, yeah, they kept going to, I think, the early 90s. Although that was their big, they were just... <laughs> talked about in the very early days and i'm fairly sure that they reformed recently too but I'm, i may be wrong but, but uh, yeah I they were a big deal at the time i imagine they didn't they no longer look like that they probably I've, filled out a bit like most of us i should imagine there'd be a lot of hats being worn <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do you know that's a good idea i've got that record somewhere and it's I a good record i have i probably really have good. not played the so that's came out when what year again? 1980, 1980. Yeah, i yeah. probably have not played my copy since 1980 so i may you know I have may a go, go. it's I really go back to it. yeah, okay. yeah I have very fond memories of it so my number four um is is somebody i've just got about Six of her records out, and I'm going to play them all today because I've decided she is the kind of perfect example of the album's artist, even though she became famous through a single, which is probably not, not, the, not the ideal introduction to her career, which is Ricky Lee Jones. Oh, right, yes. Pirates. This yeah. Is the second album by, by Ricky Lee Jones. And obviously the first one was... Um, was uh Chucky's in love and so forth which was you know a big hit kind of out of the box wasn't it straight away in the UK and I probably just didn't pay this record sufficient attention at the time it came out because it's very much you know it was a follow-up to a hit and it didn't do as well as the, as the first record but it's it's a better record than the first record and um it is really extraordinary to listen to because it's um it's really kind of impressionistic and, uh, you know, quite highly orchestrated and, uh, and the songs you can't quite grasp, but they, 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 they're swimming in and out of focus. But it does that thing that great LPs often do, was it kind of changes the temperature of the room, you know what I mean? When you put it on, it appeals to fill, it seems to fill the space and give you, and give yeah. you a place to exist, you know. And you think, once I get into the Ricky Lee Jones mood, I just want more of the Ricky Lee Jones mood. And so it's going to be another record by her and another record by her. And it's probably, the person I think of as is probably most similar is somebody like Kate Bush. And so, you know, I think it's likely if you like Hounds of Love or, or whatever, you might like that record, you know. It's the, the Ricky Lee Jones second album, Pirates. So that's that's my second, yeah. No, they're very similar. A second personal favorite. That's a good one. That's a great the one. 80s. Well, mine again. These are no no order, but mine is. Um, oh, is this good record, isn't it? My goodness, it's you know, I, oh, good. Kirsty McCall came out in nineteen eighty nine. Great record. Oh. Now, is and, there, read me off the song titles. I, I, song I titles are Innocence, Free World, Mother's Ruin, Days, No Victims, 15 Minutes. Don't Come the Cowboy With Me, Sonny Jim. Don't Come the That's Cowboy the With Me, song. Sonny Jim. Isn't that great? It hasn't, hasn't got England to Colombia nil, has it? No, that's no it hasn't. No. She's great, though, I think. And I, oh, I can remember distinctly first discovering her when you and I were at Smash Hits, actually. In fact, she was on the cover. I put her uh, on the guy, cover. The well. guy works down the uh, chip shop, swears his Elvis, which is the first in a series of songs by her. Um, 
about not suffering fools gladly. Yeah, there were lots yeah. of them. But I thought she was fantastic. And I thought there was um, there was something uniquely kind of British about her. You know, there was something very, um, very kind of raw and unvarnished and unpretentious. And the way she writes about relationships, the way she writes about suburbia, um, a keen eye for kind of human foibles. Um, Billy Bragg described her as the missing link between um, between Sandy Shaw and Lily Allen. And uh, I, I thought that um, yeah, it's also she's terribly funny. Do you remember she had an album out called Electric Landlady? That's a she's, very good She's hilariously funny. Do you remember she that track uh, uh, in these shoes? She uh, finds herself in all sorts of situations in her agonising footwear, wherever she's, where well, whatever she's being asked to do is impossible. And uh, somebody says to her, let's make love on a mountaintop. And she goes, in these, these shoes? shoes. I'll, tell right. you what, I'll tell you what about Kirsty McCall. I loved Kirsty McCall. And uh, she was an absolute delight, as far from being a great artist. And, um, and she's the only person that I've ever thought, and I'll never get round to doing it, because I'm not, I don't have the skills. And, and you probably couldn't get it off the ground anyway. Her songs would make a brilliant musical. Yeah, her they would. Song, her songs... They tell stories. They tell stories. And they're stories. full of incredible characters. And and there's no better case of this than Don't Come the Cowboy. Don't Come the Cowboy with Me, Sonny Jim. It's just Jim. wonderful. <laughs> Uh, and uh, well, in these shoes is an is another classic, you know. Obviously, that yeah, right. yeah. Because so I occasionally go for long walks, and I fantasize about having the energy or the creativity to put together uh, a musical, a song and dance show uh, based on Kirsten McCall's songs called "In These Shoes." That's great. Which is it works for me. She had also another song from a later album while we're talking about because we call England to Columbia Neil. Yeah. Where where she goes to watch in a pub and she um, and she watches England beat Columbia and then she kind of falls out with a guy. And it's just England to Columbia Neil, and I know how those Colombians feel. <laughs> That's so good. God, she was. There's good. a track like that on this uh, on this record called "What Do Pretty Girls Do?" Do you remember that one? Which oh God, incredible! Yeah. That's it's another incredibly one. Incredibly well reserved, uh, observed tale of this kind of formerly intensely glamorous socialite who's become a complete kind of embarrassment. Yeah. Um, you know, and and it's she's got that amazing knack of identifying people that we've all met in real life. Yeah. And we all know somebody like that actually. It's it's yeah. kind of it's kind of it's kind of slightly cruel, but it's absolutely spot on. She is amazing, I think. I really, you know, I, I hadn't really thought of, I hadn't thought of that record, but yeah, that's that's a really good uh, it's a good shout, as they say. Good shout. So Thanks that's your it. that's your second one. Yeah, well, yes, absolutely. my next go on. My next, oddly enough. Closer by Joy Division. Oh, right, okay. So, Gosh, I would never have imagined you'd well, come up with that. I just like this record. I just yeah. really like this record. I just I just like the way it sounds. You kind of, yeah. you know, I mean, I mean, I know it's dooming. It's full of kind of premonitions of premature death and all that kind of stuff. But you put it on, it's just a thump. It's a rattling good noise, isn't it? It all is. All the way through. And it's got that thing. Of uh, you know some LPs, they're just like a sustained single. You know, it 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 sounds like the same thing all the way through, which is when when in the way they do it is a kind of strength, not a weakness. You know, you're not you're not sitting there waiting for the track that's a bit of a relief or anything like that. 
No, it's not like that. It's just intensely the same all the way through. And I suppose in that sense, it kind of uh, it, it anticipated the way lots of records would be in the future, you know, as as the 70s moved into the 80s and, and into the kind of modern era, I suppose. Even though that the record was still made in quite traditional means, you know, so there's no kind of automated percussion on there or anything, anything like that. That was all. That was all to come later, I suppose, with with new order. But uh, no, I just, I just really like it, and uh, yeah, it's, I, it's, I it's play pretty, quite a lot. It's before, yeah, it's before the, the kind of new order type instrumentation is in. So you can. Have you ever seen Anton Corbijn's film Closer? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. band play and yeah. their band play, and it's it's actually they they sound incredibly like them because it's just bass, drums, guitar, and, and vocal. Yeah, yeah. And they yeah. managed to kind of synthesize that noise incredibly well. That's a fantastic yeah. record. Good one. So th- those are my first three. What's very your, very what's good. Your, well, look, my my next one is uh, again another another American group. Do you ever remember these oh, guys, the DBs? Oh, I, I can tell you a story about the DBs. Oh, good so. DBs. Uh, this they formed in nineteen seventy nine, seventy eight, I think, and this came out in eighty two. And this is repercussion. And there was a yeah, you, there's always that kind of tally of all the groups that were carrying on the great works of the Beatles. The bands that would sound like the Beatles, the Beatles were still going, the millions of them. Big Star, a really good example. And these guys actually sound very like Big Star. And I think these people are quite a good example of that. You can remember they had two songwriters, was Chris Stamey, who had that kind of acerbic kind of Lennon tone to the way he looked at the world. And then there was uh, Peter Holzapple, who was much given to those kind of uh, McCartney-like uh, melodic flourishes. And, uh, yeah, they're very, like, big star. There was something of an influence on R.E.M. I think R.E.M. kind of stole a lot of that kind of early idea of their sound pattern from them. And this is a kind of slightly psychedelic but um, and slightly acid collection of, of kind of power pop songs about them and the curious, you know, social circle. I think it's wonderful. Peter Holsapple turned over years later with uh, R.E.M., didn't he? he? kind of He was a mate of R.E.M. He was. Did. Used to play with them on tour. Now yeah. I'll tell you my DB story. I've got cool. that record, and re- when that record came out, I interviewed them. For what? I don't know. I can't remember. But I was in New York, and I was staying at the Gramercy Park Hotel, which in those days was the Rock and Roll Hotel. And Peter and Chris came round to my room, and they're perfectly. You know, I'd met them before. They were yeah. perfectly nice guys and had a perfectly good relationship with them and halfway through the interview which i was must have been taping in my hotel room chris damey just got up and walked out no no explanation no well, didn't nothing say i refuse to answer that question no, dare no, you there, go off script my pr nothing, told you not to uh... there was nothing like that and they wouldn't have done that anyway you know there was nothing like that how bizarre. He just, he just got up, some switch went, he got up and walked out, and Peter was very apologetic, but clearly was quite used to it happening. You know, they, they, were, just, they were just very, very different people. Completely and, uh, I can remember meeting them after a Dingwalls gig, and, and, uh, and Chris Staley being yeah, impossible to deal with, and Peter Holzapple being, uh, you know... Genial, you know... Genial host, you know, yeah. hail fellow well met. So Absolutely. I still don't know to this day whether it was anything I said. I'm I'm pretty sure it wasn't, you know. But uh, you see, you never can tell. It's funny when you interview groups, you may say things completely innocently. 
You know, if you, particularly if you're interviewing, and they take people. them as a threat or a well, well, you may have just flicked a switch somewhere, and you you wouldn't be remotely aware of having done it, because you may you may have just said something completely innocently, which they in the group think, oh my god, he knows about so and so, or what you know what I mean? Yeah. Because they've always got a secret agenda, haven't they? Yeah. And uh, it could have been one of those things. I don't know. It's a long time ago. It's 40 years ago. So, the only uh, person who's ever walked out of an interview I've done was uh, was Steve Forbert. Do you remember Steve Forbert? Oh, right. And I was yeah. talking to him about uh, the, the notion of him being the new an, another New Dylan. And he took I that bet, I bet he badly. loved that. And I don't blame him. Looking back, I don't blame him. <laughs> no, I was basically suggesting he just ripped off Bob Dylan's whole act. You know, he didn't um, like it. Fair enough. So, so go on, what else you got? That's DBs. That's, that's what's it called? Repercussions. It's called repercussions. Great record. Okay. This is a record I play an awful lot now. Oh, though. yeah, yeah, yeah. Grace Jones, Living My Life. I like all of these Grace Jones records she made for Ireland in the 80s. Uh, what are they called? Um, well, the nightclubbing one, and uh, and uh, well, later on, Slave to the Rhythm, which she made on ZTT, didn't she? And uh, but mainly, these were all done in in at Compass Point with the with the same rhythm section, with uh, with with Sly, Sly and, and Robbie, Robbie. yeah, and Barry Reynolds on on guitar, and put together by Alex Sankin. What I I particularly like this one. Oh God, it's got something inside. Oh, shall I shall I look at what's inside? Oh, it's just the... I keep finding old press releases inside my records. Yeah. It's just hilarious, actually. That's just got... That's just got... A, it, yeah, it's a mail order thing. Yeah. For ordering a film. And... Uh, but on the first side, we've got my Jamaican guy, uh, Nipple to the Bottle, and it's got the apple stretching. Have you ever heard yes. the apple stretching? Yeah. I love... I adore... So I play the first side of this a lot particularly for the Apple Stretching, which is a Melvin Van Peebles kind of poem yeah. about, about New York waking up in the morning, which is set to music. And uh, I love that. I love that cover as well. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's a fantastic thing. It became a so, briefly voguish thing, didn't it? I can remember the Face magazine having people ask somebody on the cover once with a small sticking plaster over there. Oh, of course, yes, that's that? true. That was a kind of became a fashion thing, didn't it? It was, wasn't it? Do you know, yeah. I've forgotten about that. Yeah. Yeah, didn't Frankie go in for that kind of thing? I think loads of people did. God, we've yeah. forgotten about that. The sticking plaster, the voguish sticking plaster. I know, I know. Good one. So those are four of mine. That's so. very good. Well, look, I've got, it's quite a well-known record, but it just, it, I'm very fond of it and very connected right. to it. This, so just, one, this, this is the is second that? album, the, second the B-52's album. second album, it's Wild Planet. And it just connects me back to a time I'm very, very fond of. It's 1980, but it came out. And it's just a wonderful way of rebooting the past, you know. And I, I think it's it's the most sunny and characterful record. It's got that Dwayne Eddy twang. It's got that kind of surf music. It's got the sci-fi. It's got the kind of uh, 60s pop, the daft electronica. It's just joyous escapism. Am I, 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 am I correct in recalling you used to carry a bit of a torch for a member of the b 50s I, <laughs> I did. And it wasn't Fred Schneider. It was Cindy Wilson, wasn't it? It was. You used to get all soft about Cindy Wilson. I, did. I, did. I remember that. Yeah. Oh, I, I went to interview them in New York, and uh, uh, only four turned up, and Cindy Wilson had gone shopping. Oh, you are. I was inconsolable. I could barely speak throughout the entire interview. 
there would, there would just be these long pauses. Just there's no questions, thank is Cindy, you. Is Cindy coming? <laughs> Will she be here at any anytime <laughs> soon? Absolutely <laughs> pathetic. But they were great, I think. They were so original, and uh, I think they were a big part of that. A big part of the of, the, uh, of that kind of collection of groups in the in the late seventies that kickstarted the bigger electronic pop boom in the mid eighties. Yeah, majorly influential. Fantastic. So that's Wild Planet. So this Wild is, Planet. So now yeah, yeah. my my top my top favorite of the eighties is Richard and Linda Thompson Shootout. Oh the yeah, yeah, yes. And um, it's funny we were only talking to Gerard Mankovitz, the photographer, uh, the other day, and he took the the um, the picture for this cover. I only realised, and of course, by that time, by the time the cover was done. The only way they could get them together in the same two in the same picture was there's Richard sitting in the corner and there's Linda in a picture uh, in a frame. That's as close as they could get to each other. Hung, hung on yeah. the wall. And of course, this is famously the um, you know the kind of marital breakup record, um, which I'm sure the songs weren't written directly about that, you know, but. But they can't help being kind of you, you can't help reading you know the the personal story into the music and uh, and this is the one you know it, it's the only song a song i it opens with a song the only song i know containing the word um renege you know don't renege on our love walking on a wire uh, and of course shoot out the lights and they and the epic wall of death which he many of these songs he's still he still plays to this day. And it's just got a kind of toughness about it. And I, you know, I realised that, you know, since since I was about 17 years old, Richard Thompson has just been one of those musicians I just came back to and back to and back to. And he's he's just never let me down at all. No, and done so many different things too. So uh, different types of music. But he's, you know. he's just got that inimitable kind of, but it is a sort of toughness in the sound, I think, yeah. that is the thing I keep going back to. And I tell you what struck me looking at it. Do you know the thing it's closest to, this record, is, is things like Neil Young and Crazy Horse. You know, it's like Zuma or Everybody Knows This and They Were or whatever. Whereas, and it's interesting that Nick, whereas, uh, whereas Neil Young is, is record, regarded as the kind of you know the, the the classic, the coolest man in the world, all that kind of thing. Richard Thompson is not, you know, not remotely. And the reason for that is simple. Why you is think? that? It's interesting. Isn't it? Shall I tell you why? So there's Richard posing on the cover of a of a record, which is about a searing record about a marital breakup. He's sitting in the corner of a of a of a bedroom. He's having a bit of a laugh, isn't he? He's smiling <laughs> at you. He's smiling. Neil Young would not be doing that. Never do that on an album cover. <laughs> you know, because you know, Richard Thompson has never no, looked. He's no, never lighting on the magic. He's never looked dark and interesting, has he? He's never not looked remotely. dark and edgy. He's no, always he always looks. In, he looks incredibly approachable. Absolutely, Very at a jaunty angle. Yeah. Kind of woolly ale available with him <laughs> if you want one. Completely. So uh, no, but, that's you know, true. But you know, so uh, shoot out the lights is is still a, ma a massive favourite of mine. And of course, I was reminded of that by the fact that they've just reissued, you know, all the island and 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 that record, yeah, in a, in a in a box set with lots of previously unreleased tracks that will no doubt only listen to once and never want to hear again. Whereas the classic album, yeah, is the thing you keep going back to. 
So yeah. those are my five. What's your fifth? Five. Well, my fifth is actually it's not actually my, my favourite album. It's just uh, I haven't got many particular order, but it's just one that I, was, I just found up in the roof um, just when I was looking last night, and uh, I remember it very fondly. And uh, XTC had all sorts of great records out in the in the eighties, Mama and Skylarking and English Settlement, but they made two terrific psychedelic pastiche records. Do you remember those? Yeah, Under yeah. the name The Dukes of Stratosphere, which I absolutely love. It was twenty five o'clock. And then there was this one, Sonic Sunspot. Oh, God. Produced by the great John Leckie. Do you remember that? And they they put it out, uh, promoted it using wonderful kind of cod aristocratic, uh, you know, uh, psychedelic pseudonyms. Andy Partridge was Sir John Johns. Dave Gregory was uh, Lord Cornelius Plum. And it's so affectionately done. You know, it's an incredible record. They. they were trying to recreate the world of 1967, 1968 psychedelia and had various rules. Everything had to be done just in two takes maximum. They had to use old vintage equipment. Uh, fantastic tunes. One, uh, the opening track on this called Vanishing Girl is brilliant. So they basically took tracks like uh, My White Bicycle and uh, Electric Prunes, I Had Too Much to Dream Last Night, and, and composed songs, you know, in that idiom. And I think they're, I think it's a fan, I think they're both fantastically good records just wonderfully affectionate brilliantly done and uh, i would recommend they're great well let's hope we've given people some ideas and and if not inspire them to go back and look in their records and see if they can rediscover old favorites this is a junction in the word podcast it separates that bit from this next bit okay any other business we're joined by alex gold uh what what have we got happening in the in the next week or so we've got this haven't we uh the rob halford book yes confess when when's he joining us uh on monday evening at 9 30 p.m because he's coming to us from the usa from Uh, arizona isn't he arizona Arizona. yep talking about his book that'll be entertaining that should be entertaining Slightly further out, if I can just lift it here, <laughs> this immense and rather beautiful book, uh, Ready, Steady, Go, The Definitive Story of the Show That Changed Pop TV by Andy Neal. There you go. Fabulous picture. It's not just a coffee play. table book. It's virtually the size and weight of a coffee table. You just screw in a leg. You each, screw in a leg in each corner. Each and, corner there. and there you are. So, That's going to be fantastic. So Andy's joining us when? When's that happening? That's 20th? Is it the 20th? Yeah, the 20th. It's 7pm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's worth noting that um, you can be in the room as these things happen if you subscribe to our Access All Areas tier on Patreon. On Patreon. So if you want to know more details, patreon.com slash word in your ear to find out all the various different ways that you can be involved. And we've got and- a load of new patrons too, which we must mention. And thank very greatly for signing up. We've got Jason Brooks. And uh, David Fotherham, uh, the sensational Patrick Morgan, the inimitable Gath- Gareth Williams, uh, <laughs> the unforgettable Roger Gibbons. If you uh, keep going to this stage, you're going to describe somebody as abominable. At some yeah, I know, it's true. inevitable, isn't it? You know, yeah, yeah, let's miss those. Yeah, Patrick Cleesby, uh, Malcolm Nichols, uh, Andishe Nure, who sent us a very nice letter, actually, that's email. From America, from, oh, from Georgia, good. saying how much uh, they've been enjoying all our podcasts over the years. Very nice of Carl Mesner, Lyons, and uh, James Taylor, Jeff Williams, Rob C, uh, Johnny Fuings, and Richard Lysons. Fantastic! Oh right, well, We're very grateful to all of them. Absolutely, nice to nice to have them 
all on board. Funny thing happened this week um, that Neil McCormick, a uh, friend of the pod and uh, the, the Daily Telegraph's uh, music man, um, he found himself on the, on the receiving end uh, of, of, uh, of the unwelcome attentions of, of fans of a K-pop act who felt that he'd been less than fulsome in his praise uh, of their latest record. And of course, you and I, Mark, we remember the days of the simple green ink letter, don't we? You know, you used oh, to yeah. get you used to get abuse People on press it very hard, bad tempered with their with their biros. Yeah. But it's very different nowadays in the in the days of online communication. So I thought it would be a good idea to just speak to Neil about what was involved. So I caught up with him earlier this week. Okay, delighted to be joined by Neil McCormick, uh, the Telegraph's uh, music writer, critic, editor, whatever, uh, <laughs> has been for a long time. Uh, Neil, you've been having trouble with K-pop fans recently. Well, I, I reviewed Blackpink without the uh, due reverence that K-pop fans apparently require. And um, I started getting uh, some objectionable points made on Twitter, which is, you know, which is what happens in the modern day. But it's sort of swarmed out of control where, uh, you know, one one thing just expanded and expanded until my whole Twitter byline was filled with um, K-pop fans uh, wishing me ill, <laughs> threatening death. Um, saying they were going to take control of my computer, you know, all hundreds of just messages of 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 abuse. But that's um, becoming, you know, a fairly standard response to criticism. Is it? Yeah. So that's what I wanted to talk to you about because you know, obviously, obviously, worked in the in the ancient world of ink and paper, where you know, yeah. where you got well, occasional, occasional nasty letters in green ink and so forth, and you didn't take any notice of them at all. Whereas it's very different, isn't it, when people well, directly get in touch via social it's media? It's become very different, as you say. Back in the day, you used to have to actually take the time to type a letter in in red or green ink. Perhaps insert some dog shit. I've had that, you know. Um, and you really, uh, you took, it took a passion and a commitment. You then had to put it in an envelope, take it to the post take, office. Take it to the post uh, office. Post, you know, by which time your anger has probably fizzled out. Yes. Um, and so, you know, for a while, you know, every rock critic got a couple of letters in the post bag, objecting some review. And, you know, you didn't have to take it particularly seriously. Uh, the internet obviously changed that and it became much easier just to send off a message very quickly. And uh, and I, ever since then, you know, abuse has been a part of the job. And, and I think there is an idea that, you know, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen, you know, you're a critic. Critics don't like criticism, just deal with it which, you know, there's some validity in that and people are upset about you saying something they don't agree with. The K-pop fans have taken it to a new level. It's, I mean, I'm not alone in this. Um, they, uh, they're very organized and they will swarm in on, on something. And, and, you know, it's pretty clear that 
90% of the attack messages had not read the piece. I was going to say, because you've, <laughs> you've got to buy a copy of the Telegraph or... Well, you've got to sign up online at well, least. Yeah. And I didn't. we didn't see a huge influx no, of I'm sure. you know, Korean signings. Um, uh, so, you know, they've done this to other people. And a New York Post journalist um, wrote an article about being attacked and given death threats. And, and, not for writing something nasty about a K-pop person, but for writing something pleasant, which was viewed as him uh, jumping on their bandwagon. Um, you know, uh, this one escalated. Uh, they, they they started putting in a complaint to the Telegraph via the complaint system, accusing me of sexism, misogyny, xenophobia, um, and anything else they could accuse me, and inaccuracy, uh, highlighting lots of supposed inaccuracies. There was a sort of five-point, an identical five-point bulletin, which the Telegraph received many times. I locked my account. Normally, I I don't. I just accept that this is par for the course. I locked my account because it was getting, you know, a bit oppressive. Really? (laughs) But, uh, But then they started... Uh, attacking other uh, Telegraph editors. Okay. So, so you, um, did, did this, was it the case that you gave this record four stars? I gave the record four stars. So it's broadly the, a favourable <laughs> review, but but not the five that they feel it Not deserved. the five that they would like. I mean, the, the um, Billboard actually ran a, a review written by a K-pop fan. To me, that's an indication of where we stand now. People... I'd say that's a choice by Billboard who don't want, you know, thousands of K-pop fans uh, attacking them. So they just give um, that's extraordinary. Give it to a fan to write, you know, a five-star glowing review. As you know, a critic is not a fan. And that's I don't think that's something that fans will never understand. No, you know, we have to have a huge range of knowledge and interests. I mean, my beat expands from chart pop, which is where this is. I thought this was an interesting chart pop record. It's pretty good, actually. If you want a chart pop record, it's really exciting. Uh, you know, it expands from that, you know, to experimental yeah, left wing, yeah. to singer songwriters and, and a lot of, you know, vintage and veteran. I have to have a, a huge way of knowledge. I used the piece as a way of talking about K-pop. And that was, you know, the, the big offense uh, that I didn't just go in and say, this is the Blackpink record and this is what it's all about. Um, I, I discussed K-pop as a, a thing, as a whole thing. Also, I was glib. And, you know, um, glibness is not appreciated by fans. Sometimes they don't see a joke. Um, they just see an insult. Uh I'd have to say it's it's very it's quite a difficult one because I was you know I, when you when you've created that kind of fence I mean I I actually literally had to a- answer you know I got they had a five point bulletin I had to go into it and write a a response for the Telegraph and um, <laughs> you know it's hard to justify glibness when I said uh, one of the things they were offended by was my suggesting that fans were young which I had literally said to anyone <laughs> Blackpink to anyone. Uh, to the uninitiated and anyone under 14. That's just a joke. You know, every British reader understands that as a joke. 
You, you see, you now what used to be, you know, an angry letter to the letters column, and then a kind of smart-ass response mm. in black type underneath, has now been replaced by what's more like a, a complaints procedure, isn't it? Yeah. You know what I mean? yeah. So you, you end up being dragged into the public square, and you have to apologise for something, or you know, they, they desperately wanted an apology, yeah, and that's. And, and, you know, there was nothing to apologize for except glibness. I did, you know, it's one of those things you think I had used, <laughs> I had used Google Translate on their lyrics. Now, that was obviously a joke because they sing in a mixture of Korean and English. And I was saying, you know, the English makes no sense. And I'm not uh, sure about the Korean, according to Google Translate, it says this. Uh, now, well, you couldn't, couldn't resist that. You couldn't resist that, could I you? I couldn't man? resist it. Uh, but no, you know, I, I would have been the same. And 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 I knew that that was potentially offensive, but I framed it in quite a positive. I mean, that's a bilingual nation. I'm super impressed. Right. By the way Korea has um, has has consumed Western pop, deconstructed it reconstructed it and sold it back to us. I mean, it's a very interesting phenomenon. Yeah. But that is not what Blackpink fans want you to discuss. No, I'm, I'm sure I can, I can imagine. But look, that's uh, we'll all be a lot more careful in the future, won't we, Neil? Well, that's unfortunately, that is, that is one of the aspects. It's what's it, does it happen. make people more careful? Does it I make them it just say... I'm not going to review that because. Well, no, well I think I think you, everybody. You can see why Billboard have done why Bill, what Billboard mm. have done, which is you know mm. no no great victory for the press. Let's... The Word Podcast: Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. So there we are. You know the the traditional old green ink letter ends up being a formal complaints procedure, and you have to deal with management. It's all very serious nowadays, isn't it? I'm not sure I could deal with it. What do you think, Mark? I, I would find that absolutely miserable. In the old days, if you wrote something that people didn't like, the, they, they would write to you, care of the enemy or smash it or whatever, and vent their spleen. But the idea that you then have to formally involve the, the, the people you work for is, uh, is grim, isn't it? It is, really. It is just, it's kind of, it's an indication of the world we live in. Talking of which, funny thing I was just reading in the New York Times magazine, pointing out that... Uh, that Donald Trump, among his many kind of you know, uh, dramatic effects on the American landscape, was that he, he's made his neutered satire. You know, that there are all these late night TV programs making jokes about him. And they can't do it because he makes the biggest jokes himself. And the, the problem about, um, is about satirists that, that, that um, they always used to say the unsayable, whereas nowadays they don't dare say the unsayable because they're so, they, have to, they have to so clearly identify what their ground is, whereas he's the one saying the unsayable. You know, and it, and if it so goes as you said, the it, left wing have become the 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 the, the, the orthodoxy. They've become the conventional ones. They're 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 the disgusted of Tunbridge Wells yeah. of, our, of our day. They're the ones going. He's gone too far this time. You know what I mean? And he's he's the one who can always back away from it, saying, "I didn't really mean you should inject yourself with bleach or whatever." That was a bit of a joke. You know, it's a joke, and it makes you look ridiculous for not understanding that I was being funny. Yeah, so have you noticed also, Alex, that uh, 
that John Lydon is is now come out and said he will be voting for Trump in the in the upcoming elections. I didn't even know he was an American citizen, but apparently he is. Sorry, what did you say, Alex? He's been supporting him for a few years, hasn't he? And I think he was he, he was a supporter for all the Brexit stuff that was happening over here as well. So was yeah, really? it seems like everything sort of flipped around. Well, well, but that's that's, that's what he has to do to he be, kind of to be controversial. To, you, have to do, you, you have to, you know, to give the finger to the orthodoxy. That's the thing that you've got to do. You know? It's the world turned upside down. Discuss. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.